I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg, fried egg, the dreaded fried egg, fried egg, fried egg, fried egg, fried egg, fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Arnold Palmer is the Masters champion of 1960. He has birdied the last two holes to catch and then move ahead of Ken Venturi. One of the greatest displays of courageous golf that anybody has ever seen any place. Uh, up the hill. Oh, did you ever see one like that? Oh. I think that's one of the greatest spots I've ever seen in my life. There it is, a win for the ages. Is it his time? Yes! Well, here it comes. Oh my goodness. Have you seen anything like that? Hello, friends. I'm Jim Nance. It's my great pleasure to welcome you to the Masters Tournament. I've heard it said before, it's a tradition unlike any other. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Masters podcast on the Fried Egg Podcast. Today, I am joined by 1996 USAM runner-up and 1997 Masters contestant, Steve Scott. Steve, welcome on. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, we get to talk to the man that you know had the most probably famous loss in US amateur history. Hey, yeah. Thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah. It's, um, you know, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that, uh, yeah, it, you know, I, I really wear it as a badge of honor, you know, though, but it, it's, um, you know, I, I played great under great pressure and, you know, the, the tiger guy just played a little bit better. And, and, uh, you know, he said, he said, if I can beat Steve Scott in this final us amateur, I am ready to turn pro. And he went on and he, he nipped me in 38 holes and he went. Yeah, that's the tough thing with match play. We saw it uh, at that. You see it every year at the match play on the tour. Is like you can you can play as good a golf as you can play and just get beat. And to have that happen in a final of a USAM, I mean, it had to be one of the greatest USAM matches of all time. Yeah, it was pretty historical. I mean, you know, Jack Nicholas, Bobby Jones, uh, nobody had ever won three US amateurs in a row, and you know, for me to be the guy to be in the way of of history per se um you know it was a pretty unique situation to be in i mean you think of the odds of just making it 
uh, just making it to the U.S. Amateur in general is is highly difficult. And then you have a, a field of 312 players that pairs down to two at the end of the week. And it was me and that guy. And, you know, you think of the odds of that, it's pretty astronomical. And, you know, I, I played my heart out. I, uh, you know, I didn't blow it. I didn't choke. I, I, I you know, if it was stroke play, I, I would have beat him. Uh, but it wasn't stroke play. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just one of those things that, uh, you know, golf always comes down to, to one shot. Uh, and, you know, it just happened to be, uh, you know, that last hole I made a bogey and he made a par and, and that was it. That was, it was just, uh, it was just a monumental day in, in golf history and probably something that will never be repeated uh, ever again. Yeah. I don't, uh, foresee anybody winning three straight because after two, they'll turn pro, I imagine. Yeah, they, they, they turn pro after one, and they want to think uh, think they can go dominate the world. It's it's very difficult. It's very difficult out there. Yeah, the, the thing the thing about golf is there's there's just there's just no guarantees. It's not like playing uh, you know being a top prospect in baseball or football and signing multi million dollar contracts. I mean, golf you have to prove yourself every single day. If you're out there on the on the MLB field and you you know if you don't get a hit, you don't get paid. I don't think those guys would like that very much in golf. That, that's the case. If you, you don't play well, you don't get paid that week. That's what I always say to people when they talk about like, you know, life, uh, mini tour golfers or my buddy who's playing on the web tour. And it's like, you know, this guy does not have a glamorous life right now. It's, you know, if he makes it to the PGA tour and stays up there for a while, yes, that's, you know, then you're living the life, but there's so few spots and, the road to it is so difficult, especially if you're playing on Latin America or a Canadian tour. Like the money is is so small, and if you play bad for eight weeks in a row, you're not bringing bringing home any cash. Exactly, you don't finish in the top five. Uh, yeah, you're you're darn near not going to make expenses for the week. So it's a uh, you know it, it coming up the ladder. It's certainly a you have to be super dedicated. And you got to have a little bankroll behind you, and uh, you know it's it's a it is an extreme challenge that uh, you know some people do it for a few years and then you know they go get a job in the real world because it's uh, it's it's just that tough. But you know what? At the end of the day, you know it, it's it is it is a pretty cool profession. You know, getting to play golf and making money at it. So um, you know it, it is a it is kind of a, a cool thing too. Yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think that's why so many people try and do it. It's, <laughs> it's one of the best uh, jobs you could have. Knowing Augusta is on the line in that USAM, how was the pressure in the semifinal match compared to like the finals? Obviously, that, that adds a wrinkle to you know your regular match, I imagine. Yeah, you know, Andy, I had the luxury of, of making it to the semifinals in 95 at Newport Country Club. And I was really, really nervous that match uh, the year before I played in, you know, the, against Tiger in that match. But um, yeah, the year before in 95, um, I played against Buddy Marucci, who, who ended up beating me 19 holes. And I can just remember how, how fast everything was moving in my mind and, and how nervous that I was. And the next year when I got to the semifinals again, I mean, to have that experience under my belt, it was really funny how the perception of time slowed down and I was able to kind of control the things. And I, I was, I was ready. I was ready to, to make that step because I had, 
the success that I did the year before and uh, had that opportunity the year before. So, you know, I certainly didn't want to let it go uh, two times in a row. After a couple months go by, you get, you know, the invite. How many times did you go out and practice at Augusta before the week of the tournament? You know, I was still a sophomore at University of Florida. And so I had, you know, had schooling to do and whatnot. I did go uh, in March of 97. I made a trip over a weekend. Um, and I think I played a couple rounds and, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't go a ton like some people do, but, um, but I, I was able to, you know, go out there for a couple practice rounds before. And I got to tell you, the golf course plays, plays zero, like it plays during the tournament, even a month before, um, they really ramped the golf course up. And even from Monday to Thursday of, of master's tournament week, the golf course changes dramatically. Uh, the balls don't roll back into the bank, you know, from the banks on, on number 15, let's say, or number 12 on Monday, <laughs> but Thursday, like Wednesday afternoon, it's like, it's like Disney world They go out there and there's this, you know, they, they, they roll and cut and roll until they just can't do it anymore. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that the golf course, now the balls are all trickling in Thursday morning, you know, first round. And it, it's just a, it's a, it's a different golf course. They just totally ramp it up in a very short amount of time. That's, uh, that's funny. That was going to be my next question. So the, the difference, you know, from, from Wednesday to Thursday is just, you know, monumental. Yeah. I remember, I remember when I, so I play a practice round on Wednesday morning and I went and played the par three course. And then I came back out to the main putting green to roll some putts and they had done all their work on the main putting green. And I drop a couple balls and I'm just, you know, I want to, you know, how you just drop a couple balls and you're ready to go putt. And the balls wouldn't stay on the green. <laughs> like the balls are rolling off the, off the practice putting green. I'm like, oh boy, I'm really in for it this week. I mean, it, it was like, it was totally like linoleum that you just dropped it on and, and the balls just wouldn't stop. It was, it was out of this world. It, I, you heard the stories of Tiger practicing on Stanford's basketball court putting. Did you do anything beforehand uh, special to work on putting on extraordinarily fast greens? No, I, I didn't go to those those limits. Um, you know, I, I don't think anything really prepares you for, I mean, look, unless you're super lucky enough to, you know, know a superintendent who will totally scalp a green at your home course you know there's nothing that really prepares you for hitting a, a 50 or 60 footer at augusta national during masters tournament week um you just don't have any frame of reference and i really remember struggling on those type of putts because i mean it was just the, the greens are just so fast and you just you're trying to go in your memory bank of okay what do i do here how hard do i really need to hit this 50 footer down i remember i had a 90 footer all the way across the green on the 15th hole. I think I had let, it was for Eagle or something. And the pin was for, was front left. And I was all the way on the right and it was downhill the whole way. And I hit this putt from 90 feet. And I probably, you know, I could have hit it like a 10 footer and it just, it never stopped. It went all the way across the green and, and off the other side. And you just have no frame of reference. It's just that unique. Yeah. I think the thing that gets lost is that with the speed is that, the greens are also some of the most vicious and undulating greens around, you know, they, they have these, these slopes that are just, you know, incredible. They're, you know, especially the McKenzie greens are just out of this world. 
with you know Alistair McKenzie and Perry Maxwell doing most of the greens there. Yeah, you combine uh, you combine severe you know three or four degree slopes with uh, with the speed of the greens that they that they make them at, and they can suck the moisture and make them you know as firm and as fast as as you could ever imagine. Um, it, it's just it's one of those things. If you have like when, when I saw the greens, and after all they did all the work on the Wednesday, it's almost like the greens they're not even green anymore. They're like a purpley blue looking they're just like it's just a different it's a totally different arena and you get out there and you know you have work and uh you know i guess that's why typically it takes a few years around uh, a few masters tournaments to really get a a good perspective of of how you need to play the golf course who'd you uh play your practice rounds with andy i had some amazing practice rounds I, I, somebody gave me the idea of of writing letters to people i wanted to play with and I, I want to say it was my college coach, Buddy Alexander. And, and, and so I wrote letters to Justin Leonard. I wrote letter to Jack Nicholas and I wrote letter to Greg Norman. And, um, I, uh, they, they, all three of them obliged with a practice round for me. So I played with, I played with, uh, Justin Leonard on Monday. Um, and that was soon after he won the British open the year before. Um, and then, um, and then I played with uh, Mr. Nicholas on Tuesday, and then I played with uh, Greg Norman and Steve Elkington on Wednesday, and it was just it was it was super. It was just so good. I mean, I, I couldn't I can't even put it into words how what the experience was like, and to to go around with with Nick with Nicholas in particular because he'd won all the green jackets and and you know he he was like a grandpa out there to me. You know, he's fifty seven years old at the time and. And, you know, he was just showing me the ropes and showing me, he showed me this one putt above the pin on number nine. And I could have sworn this putt was going to break left to right half a foot at least. And he said, play it half a foot right to left. And it was totally, you know, opposite of what I thought. And so, you know, I did, <laughs> and I played it the way he, he told me to do it. And from about 30, 40 feet and I buried the putt and, uh, I just kind of looked over and I shook my head and I said, man, I, I guess this is why you've won six green jackets. <laughs> That's uh, that's got to be so cool to get a play with Jack out there on uh during the week. Um, which uh, who gave you the best you know single piece of advice? I don't know. I mean, Justin Leonard was really good. He just you know he said just you know get there early, play some practice rounds. Um, you know I don't know. I mean, there was just a lot. A lot of people gave great advice. I can't pinpoint it to one, but. Um, you know, it's just one of those things you have to get out there and experience the course. And, you know, for me, I, I think, I think I just tried to soak it all in. I mean, I didn't play very well that week. Unfortunately, I missed the cut. Um, and the cut was abnormally high that year. It was like six over par was the cut. It was, um, abnormally firm and fast. And, uh, this is before all the tiger proofing and the lengthening of the course and the rough and all that stuff. And, and, um, you know, it was just, it, it played extremely difficult. If you remember, uh, you know, Tiger wins by 12 shots over Tom kite shoots, shoots six under par and finish second. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it was a, it was a, it was a very difficult golf course that year. And I barely broke 80 both rounds and, you know, but I've never had as much fun playing crummy as I did there. Yeah. So, um, uh, the first tee is that, 
the how were the nerves there and was there a spot on the golf course other than that that you were you know abnormally nervous to a regular round what i remember and maybe you know the first tee you're always amped up and and uh especially there and and i remember during the practice round uh uh, my Wednesday practice round with Elkington and Norman Elkington hit his drive out there on first and, and Norman hit and I hit last and, and, and I think I outdrove Norman by, you know, five or 10 yards and, and, uh, you know, I was pretty amped up and, and, um, you know, it's just, it, it was just really cool, you know, listening to all the, you know, the fans, you know, kind of maybe heckle Norman for getting out driven by a, you know, a kid. And, you know, I know I, I was never really known for, being a long hitter at that point and, and I'm, I'm still not. So, um, you know, it, it was, it was, it's pretty cool how far you can hit a golf ball with adrenaline. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, first teeth of masters is kind of the, uh, you know, the epitome of, of, you know, trying to control that, uh, you know, that adrenaline and the emotions. Mm-hmm. So, um, that shot on 12 is, uh, you know, you hear about the wind so much. Tell us a little bit, you know, is it as tough as everybody says with the wind? Yeah, it certainly is. I kept it out of the water both days, which was, uh, which was nice. I remember in the practice round the month before, I remember being so nervous because, you know, you'd watch the Masters on TV for, you know, a ton of years. And you, you, I, I don't ever remember being nervous in a practice round. And I was nervous in a practice round, you know, get up there and, and I think I dumped one or two in the water, you know, a month before, but yeah, the, the winds do swirl. You get, you know, you get the flag on 11 that, that looks like it's downwind and, you know, the wind kind of turns back in that corner and comes back into you and, and yeah, you have to kind of, you got to get a little lucky. Let's put it that way. I mean, the green on the left side might be 13 to 15 paces deep. And then, and then in the middle, it's like seven paces deep. And in the right side, it's like, you know, nine or 10. So, you know, it's one club. If you miss club by one, right. Or, or one little, you take a little too much speed off of a shot or you get a little adrenaline and, you know, that's why you see guys go in the back bunker and go, it's, it is, it is the most challenging 155 yard shot uh, that you could imagine. Cause the green is just, it's so shallow from front to back. So you you alluded to watching a ton of uh, Augusta coverage as a kid. What was the thing playing the course that was the most different from what you you know thought it was from watching it? You know, I, I think the 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 terrain at Augusta National is. I mean, the drop from the tee to the green uh, at the tenth hole, for example, is just unbelievable. You know, you, you certainly can't get a sense of that on, uh, you know, on television at all. It's, it's, it's such an amazing climb and, you know, you, in, down at the 12th green and the 13th tee area, that's kind of the low point of the golf course and everything works back up to the clubhouse from there. And it's, uh, I, I think the terrain probably is the most significant thing. And then, you know, then it's just the speed of the greens. You don't have any appreciation for how great of putters, you know, guys like Ben Crenshaw were and the putt that Nicholas made in 86 on 17 and, you know, and even on, even on 18 and in 86, when Nicholas hit that putt from the, the bottom tier all the way up to the top and almost hold it. I mean, like that is a really tough putt. And, um, you know, the, the appreciation 
for those shots. You just don't get unless you're unless you're there in person and see how much uh, how much slopes that there are out there. In terms of the tournaments over the years, do you still watch a lot of the Masters or most of it? Is it a is it still a uh, a ritual for you? I watch every minute that I can. I get <laughs> I you know whether it's streaming online or on television. I mean the Masters. You know, as a, uh, I mean, I'm not only, you know, a, a professional golfer, I'm a, you know, I'm a golf fan. I'm a golf nut. Uh, and I love, <laughs> I love everything. I mean, this, this time of year is like, I'm like a kid in a candy store, really. I mean, I'm 40 years old and I still feel, you know, those, those, it's that excitement of, of spring and, and, uh, you know, the masters just really, uh, really, you know, gets that out of you every time. And, and, it's that, that, you know, the lead up to the Masters is great. And I don't know, I, I, I personally can't get enough. What tournaments and shots do you think don't get spoken about enough or, or forgotten? I don't know. I mean, I think, I think they kind of all do. I mean, you know, you go back, I don't know, I guess I think of the, the you know, the 80s into the 90s and, and you know, from... Sandy Lyle hitting a fairway bunker shot and hitting it to five feet above the hole on the 72nd hole and making it, or, you know, like, I don't know. I, I think they all get their due really. You know, I, I don't know. That's, that's a, that's, that's a tough one because there's so, there's so many that, that yeah. get their due. Um, Probably I don't know. It's hard to, hard to say that one really. What was the, what it, hole did you find to be kind of the most under the radar great hole that you know outside of Amen Corner that you loved? There's just there's so many. I mean, the greens like getting your your approaches into the greens have to be so precise. The fairways they mow them back to the tee, and to have a sand wedge, you know, up to the green on number seven, for example off of a super tight lie that the grain is mowed right into you. It's so hard. I, I totally can see why, why Jordan Spieth a couple of years ago dumped a couple into Ray's Creek, you know, when he hit, when he had that layup on number, on number 12, when he hit in the water and then he dropped and pretty, uh, I guess pretty famous, but um, for bad reasons, but you know, it, 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 the precision needed to hit a wedge shot off of, off of that tight lie is just, it's so tough. I mean, you, you hit it a 10th of an inch heavy and you're going to, you're going to look like Jordan Spieth. I mean, it's that it's, it doesn't take much at all. And, you know, um, any wet, you know, just those simple wedge shots that, or the shots that look simple, like the, the shot on 15, you got a downhill lie. If you lay it up too much down the right side of the fairway. So that's why you see a lot of guys lay up left. It's a little bit of flatter, flatter lie into the green. And, you know, you just have to position the ball properly and give yourself the flattest lies possible. And if you could have one like world class skill to, at, and you're going to the Masters and you're the best in the world at one aspect of golf, which one would you want it to be to have success at Augusta? You've got to be a precision iron player. You have to. You have to be able to dial in your distance so well there um, because every you know the, the difference between you know, one or two yards off is dramatic. You know, like I mentioned about the 12th hole being, you know, less than 10 yards deep of the green on the green uh, in some parts of that green. And, you know, to get it on the little tiers, like on the 13th hole, 
the pin is all the way in the back and you know you've got a, an area the size of a dining room table it seems like to really place your golf ball or else you know it's going to go off in the low areas and the low parts of the green and um the, the precision iron game uh and getting and dialing in your distance i think is uh is crucial yeah also with all the uneven lies it makes hitting it the right distance even tougher yeah you get the uneven lies and like back in uh Oh, I can't remember. Late 80s, early 90s, Nick Faldo beat Ray Floyd in a playoff. And uh, Floyd tugged it in the water on the 11th hole uh, to lose to lose to Faldo. H- the ball was above his feet, and he didn't quite calculate that into his shot as much as he needed to. And that's why he tugged the ball a little bit left. And, um, yeah, you don't get a lot, of un- a lot of even lines. Like the 13th hole is is a short par five, but I remember, you know, you have like a, I mean, for me, I, you know, I'm not Bubba Watson. I don't have wedge to the green, but you know, you, I had like a four iron, let's say, and you're hitting it off a downhill, uh, with a ball above your feet, but you're trying to hit a high cut, uh, with a ball, with a lie that's telling you, you're going to hit a low hook. <laughs> and like, I think that's, that's something that you don't quite see on TV. Um, I mean, the lies just don't always fit the type of shot that you need to play. Um, same thing on 10, the 10th hole, the ball kind of sits a little above your feet and you really need to hit a high cut into that green to hold it better. If you hit a draw and kind of fall off the left and, you know, those, those sorts of little nuances, they, they totally affect, uh, the shot and can really make the, the pros, uh, look dumb if they don't quite, uh, you know, calculate all those little nuances into the, into their equation. Yeah, I think that's one of those subtle design tricks. Everybody always talks about how you how do you make a course extremely playable for a 15 handicap? A 15 handicap's never going to recognize like, oh, I have a hook lie and I need to hit a fade into this screen. But for the elite world yeah. class players, it's it drives them crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. Who do you have for going into this week? Who who's your pick? I don't know. I've got, I think, I think it's very open. Um, I think for, for, you know, for a golf fan out there, I think this has got to be one of the most exciting masters. You know, you got Phil playing great. You got tiger coming back up and knowing, uh, knowing the golf course so well, you got McElroy winning recently at Bay Hill. Um, you know, you have Bubba Watson winning at the Dell technologies match play uh, a week ago. Um, you, you have a lot of, you just have a lot of great players that are, that are really playing well right now. Justin Thomas is playing really well. Um, you know, so uh, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's wide open. I think for the, you know, if I'm a betting man out there, it's, it's hard to pick somebody. If I had to pick somebody, um, I don't know. Left-handers are seeming to do very well at Augusta, you know, uh, Bubba Watson, even though he might not be a player favorite, uh, in, inside the ropes, I, I think, I think Bubba, is is playing extremely well and i would put him pretty high on my list for sure and and mickelson's playing great too so i don't know a left-handers kind of i don't know i think they have a little bit of an advantage there yeah i i think bubba one of the things he can do is he can almost like manufacture angles because of the way he can shape the ball so you know he might not be in the ideal angle, you know, ideal spot to attack a flag, but he can move it so much he can make the angle. 
Yeah, he's he's as creative of a player as as there's been in the last you know twenty or thirty years out there, and and uh, moving the ball around like he does. And yeah, look, I wouldn't put it past him to, to be in the hunt uh, come back nine Sunday. All right, we we've got a tradition of overrated underrated it's not it's not a tradition unlike any other but it's uh it's our tradition so uh i'm gonna just throw out a couple masters things here and and you say you know if it's overrated or underrated you can add explanation but it's got to be one of the two okay all right pimento cheese sandwiches hmm or had one uh so I don't know. Can I can I walk uh, on that one? Can we come back to that one? <laughs> how, have you, how have you never had one? You didn't try one. Didn't have curiosity. No, I I, I don't think I did. <laughs> hey, no, I don't, I don't know. I think I, uh, I I don't know if I uh, I don't know if I had one at all. But you know what? I would say I would say I don't know. I, I'd say I'd say overrated. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's a reason you haven't had one. Um, if I've got to pick one, I'll say overrated. Right, uh, driving down Magnolia Lane. Underrated. It's 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 you just got to do it. It's amazing. All right. Uh, the fourteenth hole. That that green is difficult. Um, I don't know. I I, I don't think it's so. I I don't know where it's rated, but I would say I would say. It's it's really tough, so un- let's go underrated there. All right, and then uh, the crow's nest. The crow's nest, not overrated, um, and I don't know if it's underrated. It's just amazing. Um, it's uh, it's like a religious experience to stay on the grounds of Augusta National. So um, I don't know. It's certainly not overrated. So if I have to pick one, it'll be underrated. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve, thanks so much for your time. And uh, we're looking forward to a great Masters week. And, um, and I'm sure you'll, uh, you'll enjoy it. Yes, I will. Thank you, Andy, for having me on. I really appreciate this.